Welcome to the Bermagui Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here you'll find the recording of messages from our weekly gatherings. We pray you'll be challenged and encouraged by today's message. So something that I know I've said before, um, it's, I guess it's a, one of those recurring themes in my mind in the sense of the way that I perceive God and the way that I, I see in his nature is that he is a God of the new. He's a God that didn't just go, well, here I am, here it all is, and just lays it all out. When you go through scripture, it, it's this progressive revelation. There's this, there's this journey he takes us on and slowly but surely showing us something new and something new, something new about himself, something new about his plan for us. And even when you look at the history of the church and, and, and the history of, of, of his people, there's this progression of journey and progression of, of God revealing a new a new um, perspective or a new um, direction. And that's why we've got this, you know, even with the covenants that we have with God, these promises that he's made us, there's this, there's this progression to it. And so he's always just moving towards this new expression, this new way of interacting with his creation. And I think that's just so um, phenomenal. And the fact is, you know, that's why I believe this, this journey of faith isn't just a religious expression, it's a relationship. And as any good relationship is, it, it, it progresses. There's this progression to it and there's a newness to it. Um, I've talked to many of people that have been married much longer than me and Prudence have and they, they still speak about it. You know, they still find out things about their, 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 their spouses. They, they're still discovering more about them. That, that rela- those relationships deepen as time goes on. Now, a verse that sort of always comes to mind when I'm sort of on this track of thought is Isaiah 43:19, and it's a, it's a promise that God's giving to His people. He's saying, "For I am about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland." And so, He's a God of of, of creation. He's a God of 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 going. Well, you know, things may look like this at the moment, but I'm about to do something new. But a question I want to start with, I guess, to, to get your, your brain juices flowing, is that who, well, who's had that experience of, you know, that desire and that excitement of getting something new, but at the same time, you don't really like the feel of it at first? <laughs> you know, be it, you know, it might be a new pair of shoes or new, new clothing or a new car even or a new couch or something like that. I don't know about you, but I've, I've had that experience. I, I know, you know, I'm... I've got those slightly wider foot. And so sometimes shoes, they just, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I've got these new shoes and they're, they're, they're new and they don't have holes in them and they don't leak and you know, they're, they're doing what they need to do. But they don't quite feel right at first. They're, they're not familiar. And I think there's this real tension sometimes with this desire because, you know, we're, we're all geared to a point to, to desire, you know, what's that next thing? What's that new thing? You know, whether it be an experience, you know, that's why we travel, that's why we go and do new things and go and see new places. You know, there's this inbuilt desire for, for, for new and, and, and sadly, in, in a negative tone, I guess, our, our culture is geared to, oh, we always need to new, desire the next new thing or the next, you know, the, the latest technology, the latest car, whatever. And so we're geared to, 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 to chase after the new, but at the same time, almost... In, in, in conflict with it, we like familiar, don't we? We like comfortable. We like what we know. We like what fits and just sits right. 
It's almost paradoxical that, you know, this desire for both the new and the familiar. And I think it's, you know, it's both physical and a mental thing. You know, physically, we, we, you know, we, we look for new things, but at the same time, we, we like what feels familiar. And it's the same in, with, with our mentality, you know, like we, we, generally speaking, we like to learn new things, you know, watch a new documentary about a, a new thing and we go, oh, that's interesting. But at the same time, we, we get set into paths of thinking, don't we? We get sort of locked in going, oh, but, you know, this is the way I've always done it. So there's always this tension and this conflict. And it's actually addressed in Scripture really well. So if you do have your Bibles, I encourage you. We're going to go to Matthew 9. We're only going to go to two passages today. And this passage in Matthew 9, you can find it in Luke as well. It's in Luke chapter 5 and in Mark chapter 2. Um, the more you study the Bible, you'll realize that there's, there's a lot of correlation between those, those first three Gospels. Matthew, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they've, there's, there's a lot of similarities there. The one that's sort of, the odd one out is the, the book of John. He just takes a totally different perspective on it. But I'll, I'll, I'll read from Matthew this time. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 16 to 17. So this is Jesus talking to the disciples uh, of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, he, he had some disciples and some followers, and they came up and started asking Jesus about some stuff. And I'll come back to, to, to what that question was. But this is what Jesus says. He says, Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. Yeah, it's... It's a great little keyhole, little passage, but at the same time, when you look at it in the context of it, it's Jesus really sort of saying, nah, there's, there's something new coming. There's, there's something different coming. Because these disciples of, of John the Baptist approach Jesus and they, they say, hey, come on, we're, we're fasting all the time. Why aren't your disciples fasting? And in that time period, you know, to fast was... It was, it was a sign of petition. It was a sign of, of, of almost sor- sorrow and um, anguish almost. And so at this point in time, you know, John the Baptist had been imprisoned. And so his disciples were obviously, you know, fasting and praying, just, oh God, you know, intervene somehow, somewhere. And even for the Israelite people, there would have been a, a tension there because they were under oppression from the Romans, correct? And so all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene. His disciples are just, in a way, living it up. They're just going from town to town with Jesus, seeing these great things that he's doing, going to all the parties that Jesus is going to, you know, bending the rules in the eyes of the, of the, of the religious. And so these disciples come up and they sort of say, come on, what's, what's going on? Why aren't yours fasting? And so Jesus' first replies, we're going to go back a verse here, actually answers it almost, but then he adds these two extra verses about the cloth and the wineskins. So that verse before, just have a quick look at that. So Jesus replies, you know, do wedding guests mourn while, the celebrate, while, while celebrating with the, with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they'll fast. And so he's sort of answering them. So sort of saying, no, come on, I'm, I'm here with the disciples and we're, we're doing what God's called me to do. So they, they, they've got plenty of time once I'm gone to, 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 to fast and, and to look after other things. But at the moment, they're in the presence of the Son of God. 
and in the presence of the Messiah. And so there's no need for that. They're, 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 they're walking in the presence of the king. But then he throws these two little um, verses in there saying, you know, yeah. and just the same way, you know, we don't put new cloth onto the old cloth and we don't put new wineskin into old wineskins. And he's saying that God's bringing something new to the picture. He's saying this time with me, with Jesus, and with this new covenant that I'm starting to introduce, the old way of thinking, the old perspective, and, the, and, and all that, what was, isn't actually going to work with what's coming. And it's not, that, it's not that we're doing away with the old necessarily. It's just new. And to try and mix the two, to try and go, oh, but, you know, we can stay here, but just take a little bit of that, won't really work. And when you do that, it, it just makes a mess. It makes the hole bigger. It spills the wine everywhere. And he's saying to these, these guys, he's sort of saying, no, just realize that my disciples are stepping into something brand new. Something you guys don't even actually realize how, how big this is. And the more I sort of dwelt on this, an interesting passage just sort of came to mind and I was just sort of putting some thoughts down. It's another story about wine. So we're going to go and have a read the wedding at Cana. So it's John chapter 2. And because I've been singing, I don't like it being my voice in the entire service. So does someone want to stand and read to me, read to us? John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Any volunteers? Yeah, for two. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> John two, water turned to wine. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does you, your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Excellent. Yeah. <clears throat> what I see in this passage is another, I guess, step of Jesus revealing this newness, this, this new covenant, this new perspective of what he's bringing in. 
And so some quick little facts, I guess, about this passage. You know, scholars do believe that this is considered Jesus' first miracle. So Jesus himself is sort of saying, look, you know, woman, he says woman, but he means mother. <laughs> you know, my, to- my time hasn't come yet. I'm, I'm, I'm about to step into my ministry, but it's just not quite yet. And so he started to call his disciples and that sort of thing, because it says some of his disciples are with him. Um, there is also an assumption that, you know, that the fact that Mary and Jesus are there is that this is quite possibly a relative of, of, of theirs, so a relative of Mary's somewhere there, and that's why they were present at the wedding. And it was the host, it, it, was, the, it was the groom's family's responsibility to, to, to host the wedding and to, to, to host the people that were present. And it wasn't just like our weddings where we just you know, have an afternoon together. They went for days. And so there was a real... Um, trying to think of the term, but there was a real emphasis on the family and it was a real sign of respect and and prestige to sort of go, no, I'm providing. And so to have a a situation happen where, oh, we've run out of wine, that would have shone really badly on the the family and in in that community. That would have been, you know, not good. And so um, the fact that Mary was aware of this and, and brought to her attention, that's why they sort of go, well, she was obviously connected somehow. That's why they sort of feel she was... Um, connected to the family that this wedding was uh, about. But let's go a little bit, little bit deeper with this. You know, there's so many connections we can make with this in that, you know, for this to be Jesus' first miracle, what does he do? He turns water into wine. And so there's a connection here, you know, going right back to Moses. If you think, you know, his first sort of great miracle when he was standing up against Pharaoh was what? turning the Nile into blood. And there's a real, uh, uh, I guess, symbolism there that we can sort of take in that, you know, for the Egyptians, the Nile was symbol for life, wasn't it? All of, their, all of life was, was connected to the Nile. You know, all, all their fertility, all their, all their agriculture, all the animals, all that sort of thing would have leaned on the Nile. And so from the Egyptian perspective, that was life. And here's God, you know, yes, in, it was twofold in some regards. Yes, it was a curse upon the land. So say, no, God's, God's in control over what you think is, you know, the, the, the life stream of, of your country. He turns it to blood. But as we know in Scripture, blood is actually the, the symbol of life. You know, Scripture says that, you know, that our life is in our blood. And so when Jesus gave his blood for us, he gave us his life. And so there's this symbolism there that, you know, here's Jesus taking just ordinary water and turning it into wine. So I say, no, there's something new coming. There's something new to what God's about to do. And there's another comparison, I guess, at the end of Jesus' ministry here, where Jesus takes a cup and he shares it with his disciples. It's a cup of wine, but he says, no, this is my blood. shed as a new covenant for you. So it didn't turn into blood, no. But that symbol and that that message was there to sort of say, no, this isn't just an ordinary drink. You are now sharing and partaking with me, the Son of God, in a new covenant with the Father. A covenant that's going to give you the grace and the forgiveness and the redemption from sinfulness and brokenness.
And so there's this, there's, there's just this beautiful imagery and this beautiful shift of taking something that was ordinary and making it supernatural. Taking something that was considered, you know, I guess essential to humanity, you know, water, we, we all need water. But then Jesus shifting into something greater, something better. And I love that, the statement there at the end where the master of ceremonies tastes it and realizes, wow, this is incredible. And he goes to, goes to the host, and you know, the, the groom, and so says, oh, you know, usually the best ones serve first, and once we've all, all had a bit, that's when the cheaper stuff comes out. But no, you save the best to last. And the fact is, sometimes that's a perspective a lot of people have of God. Like God sort of dishes out the best for you know the, those, those, those spiritual types and those, those righteous ones and those people that have done good all their lives. You know, they're the ones that get the good stuff. I've, I've, I've talked to people in, in my time in schools and things like that. You know, that's, that's sort of this notion that people sort of have, oh, I'm, I'm not good for that, not enough for that. I've, I'm, I'm too bad. But here God's giving us a perspective of going, well, no, <laughs> he's actually saved the best to last for us. And when we sort of talk about Scripture as this progressive revelation of God's plan for us, what did he do? He saved the best till last, didn't he? You know, gave us Noah, he saved Noah with the flood. Through Moses, we got given the covenant and you know, directions of what it looks like to, to, to live righteous and to live for God. But what does he do at the end? No, here's the full picture, the life and the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've saved the best to last. That's the God we serve. That's the God that, that we worship. That he's a God of the new. He's a God of, of going, no, come on, I've got better. I just love that imagery that, you know, that, Jesus, that Christ came and here he is, his first miracle, and he's offering the best. He's offering something better. And the fact that he himself was the better sacrifice, that he was the better redeemer, and that God was saving his best to last. And so not just those that are, you know, worthy of it, so that all can find grace, so that all can find life. In God. And so this wedding, you know, Jesus just didn't just do this just for the bridal party. He didn't do this just for those he liked. He did it for all. You know, these, these pots, they would have been big pots. They were, they were filled, you know, for, for, for cleaning and ceremonial things and things like that. So they just would have had to keep a fair bit of water on on stock they just didn't have a tap to pour it out of and so for him to go no all these jars are now wine he's to say no i'm a god of abundance my grace is sufficient and coming back to that first little passage i read in matthew there you know we can't we can't mix the old with the new I think Jesus is saying, no, this is something brand new. This is something completely different. This is something that just is going to blow everything you've experienced, everything you've known out of the water. 
And the fact is that message still stands. So many people around us look at this life and they go, oh, you know, well, you know, it's what I've got. It's my cup of tea, you know. Some, some are living it up in, in their own perspective. They're thinking that they've, yeah, they've made it. They've, they're successful in their careers. They're successful in this. Others, maybe not. Maybe they just had the worst run in their, in their lives. But we introduce them to Jesus. And we say, well, you, you, you realize that all that is a shadow. All that is dust in comparison to what Jesus offers us. That he is the bread of life. That he is the living water. That he is all that we need. He is our sufficient God. So let's not get caught up into holding on to what was. You know, one of my favorite passages, because I, I just think it just speaks wonders to this journey of faith. And it's Romans 12 too. You know, Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Don't let this world define who you are. Don't let this world shape the way you think. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Yeah, that's... That's what Jesus brought. That's what Jesus provided for us. Something that's just so drastically amazing, so drastically incredible in comparison to what this world could ever dish out. So even though we're people that live in the reality of the new covenant that Jesus was teaching and speaking about, you know, at the time of Jesus, that was incredible. That was life-changing. The Jewish people had never heard someone teach the way that Jesus had taught. But even though we've got that revelation, even though we've got the New Testament explaining what that looks like, explaining how we live out this New Testament life, let's not get bogged down into thinking that limits us. Let's not get bogged down into to habits that, that actually hurt us. Let's go full throttle. Let's jump in, boots and all, into this new life that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. It's dynamic, it's vibrant. And if we try to hold on to what was, if we try to hold on to old things, it just makes a mess. So let's be people who embrace all that the new life in Christ is. So what I want to do, I do want to come around communion. So Prudence, if you and the kids want to come out, we're going to share some communion soon. is there's not a whole lot more I wanted to say because essentially my, my, my sermon's enough. But I do just want to read that passage. Well, again, it's referenced in a number of sections, but just that, that point where Jesus takes that cup. This is Luke twenty-two twenty. He says, After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So when we take communion this morning, when you hold that cup, you know, we've got blackcurrant juice or grape juice or something. But the fact that Jesus held that, he said, no, but in me, it's something so much more. And it's not that we need to, 
I guess, make up and go, well, no, this is now the blood of Christ I'm taking. I think it is a, just a heart revelation. It's a, it's, a, it's a spiritual perspective of just going, wow, this is what God has done for us. There's nothing, nothing special about this. It is just juice. But it's the perspective and the, the, the position that we place ourselves before Christ when we take up this cup. So it says that Jesus broke the bread to symbolize his broken body. And the fact that, you know, that he gave everything of himself. You know, he, was, he was 100% man. He wasn't just a, a ghost pretending to be hurt. He hurt. He was in pain. He suffered. And so he says, no, take that and remember me. I do encourage you. I just want to give a moment. I don't want to rush it. But reflect on what God has changed. Reflect on what God has brought in that's new. The fact that, you know, God demonstrated way back with Moses, you know, that life wasn't in the water. Life was in the blood. And the fact is this cup was a separate thing Thing to what they were celebrating at Passover. In Passover, they were celebrating deliverance from Egypt. And the way that happened, well, part of that journey was that they got the blood of an animal and put it above their door and all that were within the house were saved. I love the fact that the blood has gone from above our door, you know, something that's exterior to us, something that's separate from us, to being a symbol of blood that we take. That's internal. For me, that just speaks so such brightness of, of intimacy, of that God's, you know, he's not just interested in just sort of ticking the box saying, yeah, you're in the house, good job. No, he's interested in us, in all of us, in all that we are. That's what he's redeeming. That's what he's saving. So as you're ready, take the cup, but just take a moment. Lord God, I thank you that you saved us, that you freed us, Lord God, from the, from the bounds of, of sin and brokenness, Lord God. But you gave us so much more, Lord God. You gave us connection and relationship and intimacy with you. that that veil was torn between the Holy of Holies, Lord God, that we could draw near, that we could be near, that we have a connection with you, Lord God, that was just unlike anything, Lord God, that was ever offered. That we can return to relationship with you, Lord God, like you intended from the, from the start of creation, Lord God. Lord God, I thank you for everyone here, and I do just ask, Lord God, that as each of us, Lord God, just go into to whatever it is where you've whatever journey you've got us on, Lord God. Whether it be just quietly doing life in our community, whether it be in our workplace, Lord God, whether it be with our family. Lord, I pray that we can always be 
challenged and renewed, Lord God, to, to, to step into all that you have, Lord God, all that you offer, Lord God, in this new life as we live in the life of you, your Son, Christ Jesus. We thank you. Amen. Amen.